KYW Original Podcasts. This is KYW In Depth. I'm Tom Rickert. What would Muhammad Ali have to say about the protests for social justice happening everywhere right now? My colleague Ed Benkin got a chance to ask his daughter and grandson that question four years after the death of the greatest. I'll keep this introduction short today. It's a really interesting conversation. Here's Ed Benkin. joined today by Kalia Ali and her son Jacob on this four years, the month of the anniversary of their passing of the great Muhammad Ali, Kalia's father, Jacob's grandfather. I want to start by asking you both, as you hit this anniversary, give us some of your thoughts about this time from your father's death four years ago and the realization of what he meant to you and what he meant to the world and, and just how special both of you had a relationship with him. Uh, like most people, you know, uh, my father meant the world to us. And as my stepmother, Lonnie, so eloquently pointed out, his voice is so greatly needed and missed, especially now. Uh, you know, my father's sense of love uh, filled the room. His hugs lasted forever. Even if I didn't get to see him as much as I wanted to, one hug to the next, it lasted forever. So he is greatly, greatly missed. And, and most importantly, with all the unrest and violence and pain and confusion going on in the world, um, you know, his, his own personal fight is missed. His word is missed. His, his own brand of love for everyone. My father loved every single person, not only in this country, but in this world. You know, after my grandfather's passing, so many people had stories to share when they met him. It was amazing to even think about, you know, that he could be so many places at once. I've met so many people and had so many just genuine interactions with so many different people. And it's after hearing these stories, you know, that people always ask me how I, you know, intend to carry on my grandfather's legacy. And I intend to do everything in my power to, to represent his legacy correctly and to use the privileges that have been given to me as a result uh, as an opportunity to make this world a better place. But it dawned on me, you know, that his legacy is one that we all carry, regardless of lineage or bloodline. He was a man of the people. He loved people. He loved all people. And I think what he really would have wanted us to take from his life was his fighting spirit and his care and his love. And that's something we can all carry. I know there are so many great stories about Muhammad Ali, your father and grandfather. Tell us about the red bike story, which really had a significant impact in his life. So at the Ali Center, we have what's called the red bike moment. When my father was a child, his red bike was stolen from him, found crying by a police officer who inspired him to learn how to box. He said, you have to get up and fight for what you want. It so happened the police officer was a, was a coach at Powell Police Athletic League, and so the rest of history goes. What's significant about this story is that the police officer was white, hmm. and it just serves as an example of what we can aspire to be as a nation, what we should be as a nation, and, and police officers as guardians. Um, my, how different would things have been if my father was a victim of brutality or the officer didn't take the time to care? You know, I think that's an important story to tell, really, because what it is, is it's a statement of what America must become. You know, it's a statement of what uh, policing in this nation must move towards and must uh, evolve into. You know, and it shows that what's going on today, by contrast, just is simply unacceptable. There was also an incident after he won his gold medal at the Olympics that really had an impact on him as well. A 
upon my father's return uh, from Rome, the Olympics, with a gold medal around his neck, he literally felt it would buy him a seat at the table. And so walking into a segregated cafe to have a meal, he was told to leave. Obviously hurt, uh, he left and felt the medal was merely symbolic and his lore had to throw it into the river because he thought, what does it stand for? But he chose to take that moment and take the first step forward. I, I believe my perception of it, his daughter is a civil rights activist and realized that he had to stand for something much more as an athlete and that even something as precious as winning the Olympic gold was not enough earn him that seat at the table. He, of course, was alive and active during a very significant time in our country's history when it comes to social justice and civil rights. This is obviously a very significant moment right now. How significant is this compared to your father's time and, and some of the other moments we've seen during this time period between when your father was as active as he was and where we are today? Well, you know, I've been doing a lot of work sitting next to my son. And, and speaking out on this on behalf of my family. And it's just amazing to me from a generational perspective how long-armed racism is that I'm sitting next to him still having this conversation that my grandmother must have had with my father and so on. But looking forward, I hope it's one that my son is not having with his child. I look at what's going on today, and, you know, we can draw a direct line back to the very beginning of racism and and, uh, and oppression in this country when slaves were first brought here 400 years ago. I think that, you know, the end of slavery, but with the end of slavery immediately comes an era of lynching, an era of Jim Crow. And we end Jim Crow, and immediately following, we begin an, uh, an era of mass incarceration and over-policing and police brutality that we see today. You know, uh, what's important to understand is that these racist structures have simply continued to evolve and adapt to the times rather than actually being dismantled and abolished. And we need to make a move towards actually getting rid of the racist structures of oppression that exist in this country. I think I've heard uh, said a few times over the past week, I understand that I may never understand, but I do stand with you. And I think that's a really great place to start. Some of the images I've seen out of Philadelphia alone have been startling to me, it's as if I don't even recognize my hometown. It's interesting you mentioned about that quote. It seems like when you see the protest locally, nationally, we see more people, white people involved, marching with African-Americans, with other minorities. Do you think there could be real change and there's more of a notice for not just African-Americans saying enough is enough, but white people, other people saying, all right, what can we do more to help? I think what you're pointing out there is what needs to happen in this country. You know, African-Americans have always done their part. They've always spoken out and said, what's wrong? Um, for hundreds of years, African-Americans have always detailed the realities of this nation. And it ultimately fell on deaf ears for far too much time. And what needs to happen is white America needs to step up and needs to wake up and understand that this isn't a black problem because black people aren't the problem. This is a problem of the oppressor. This is a problem of white supremacy. And white supremacy needs to be dismantled by the people who exist and live within those communities. It needs to be dismantled by the people who have been given a, a white privilege in this country in order to make that kind of change. Kalia, as someone who is here in Philadelphia, and I know you work on the board of the Juvenile Law Center here, you've seen what's going on in this city. It certainly has been 
one of the cities that's drawn a lot of attention. Uh, there is the taking down of the Frank Rizzo statue. Where's Philadelphia right now in all of this and what you've seen? I hope that we're in a transitional phase, and I, I, that's my hope and prayer for the rest of the country. I think very important dialogue has started that needs to be continued. I do believe we've changed the trajectory or at least the stream of thought and sound in the country over the last few days. What comes of it, we don't know. Juvenile Law Center, uh, we're so fortunate, is a national organization located here in Philadelphia. Um, the great Marshall Levick has fought so many landmark cases that have um, not only helped and freed but one child, but have really uh, shifted the eyes of the law and also caused people to be aware. Um, many organizations here within Philadelphia that I'm so proud to say I work with, Help USA was originally a Cuomo-based charity uh, where transitional housing and um, homeless veterans here in Philadelphia, mothers and children, and um, a lot of great work with mobile heroes like Julie Earth, the U.S. Olympic soccer team, and Zach Earth from the Eagles. Uh, just so much to do in Philadelphia, and I, I've just found that during this period, it's brought us all closer, all the organizations I work with closer, and it's given us greater focus on what we have to do, pay attention to, and to move forward together strongly, and, and, and the opposite word is together. One of the fortunate things about your father is, as a famous sports figure, one of the famous of all time, being involved in sports gave him a platform to speak out. We know what's going on in the NFL with Colin Kaepernick. Roger Goodell, the commissioner, stepped up and made an apology, admitted the league's mistake about not doing more for social justice and not acknowledging what players were protesting. How significant is that step going forward, not just for football, obviously, but for the cause in general? Roger Goodell needs to say sorry to Colin Kaepernick directly, plain and simple. Uh, To your point, yes. It's forward motion, um, and I'm glad to see that. I'm glad that he took that initial step. But without an apology directly to Colin Kaepernick, it's an incomplete sentiment to me. The NFL today is hardly what it was before. It's an organization that's 70% African-American with 3% coaches. And my understanding is that there's really great need corporately for, um, on a corporate level, pardon me, for quality control and diversification. So... I think there's still work to be done, and for me, me personally, it starts with an apology to Colin Kaepernick directly. For that to happen, you would think that Colin Kaepernick will have a chance to get back into the league, and obviously so much less about getting a chance to play football, but getting a chance, in addition to right that wrong, to be able to help moving forward. How significant would that be, and how important would that be to get him back in the NFL? You know, I can't specifically speak to what Colin Kaepernick would or wouldn't do. Um, I think if he would return, I think it would send a very positive and strong message. Um, And again, just going back to us trying to become closer as a country and not drawing further apart, it would be one step in the right direction toward healing. On that subject of football, in fact, we just talked to Eagles coach Doug Peterson this week, who has always had an open mind and open ears to his players. Malcolm Jenkins, of course, was here for many years, very involved in the cause. He told us the importance when his players come back in the meetings they've had even online now to listen and to learn. How important is that both with him and sports and society in general right now is is really to learn and to listen and be able to take that step forward? I believe that listening and learning are the first steps uh, that, that most people in this country need to take. 
you know, number one, to listen in that, you know, it, a white American can never truly and fully understand the plight of being a black man or woman in America. But what you can do is listen to what people are telling you and do your best to educate yourself on the topics, to truly get a grasp of what's going on in this country and truly get a footing with which you can begin to make a change. How significant is it, we mentioned how the protest, there's more diversity, that there are more athletes, black and white, and there are more celebrities, significant people, people who can make an impact, speaking out maybe more than we've seen in the past when things have turned the way they have with this situation. I think there should be balance. It's important to hear the voices of um, other noted people uh, or people that um, you know folks aspire to hear from, but I think it's important to hear the voices of the people right now as well and the people that are out in the front lines fighting the fight who can offer us some real direction and hope and some clarity as into what we should be focusing on and doing to move forward together powerfully. But I do think it's important that we hear the voices of people, most importantly. In addition to, as we said, listening more, saying we want to hear more, if you had a chance right now to talk to everybody across America and they were to ask you, what can we do, black, white, whatever your race is, what is the most important thing you see us doing as a society going forward to make things better? I think the answer it depends on who you're talking to, right? I think African-Americans, like I said, have always done their part. They've always spoken up and they've always fought for justice and to make a change in this country. The only thing I can say is to just keep that fight going and never lose that spirit and never be stripped of the pride and love that this country will try to strip you of by being black. You know, America will try to strip you of loving your heritage and thinking that you deserve what you do. Uh, and just make sure to never lose sight of that and to get, just continue doing what you're doing when it comes to the rest of America, particularly white America. I think listening and education is a very important first step in order to ground yourself in the issue, um, acknowledge what's going on, and then to take that into your own community and address the racism that you see in your community and that surrounds you. Uh, to not just sit back and say, I'm not racist and continue living your life, to actually confront the issues that surround you, um, whether you're uncomfortable with it or not, because that discomfort is truth, that discomfort is reality. Uh, so you need to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. Well, I think we're in the hills of a very important election and that it is important to vote. A lot of um, most significant changes take place through legislation, legislation rather. Um, so, you know, please don't forget to be counted. Fill out your census form and get out and vote. Hold your elected officials accountable. We pay them. We elect them. Uh, be aware. Be aware of what legislation is passing and how laws are changing around you. Let's not wait until it's too late and then get up and do something. Far beyond the protest, there's a lot of work to be done, and I, I think we have to keep up the fight. On that subject, another certainly needle mover in this whole thing is public policy. Things have to be changed. How much of it needs to change, and that includes things like monuments from the Confederacy and things that maybe someone before would have said, well, I'm white, I'm for equal rights, but I don't understand why this is offensive to, even if I don't feel that way, there's real change in public policy that has to be made. I think an, an important question to ask is, if a man is walking along the wrong path, will he end up at the right destination? And I think most people would say no. I think America, from its very core, has been walking along the wrong path from the beginning. 
You know, we claimed all men are created equal, and yet the people who wrote those statements were slave owners. I think that in and of itself underlines and underpins the drastic change and the foundational change that this nation needs to undergo um, when it comes to having a true dialogue about race, addressing the issues of race that exist, and erasing the remnants of white supremacy from our society. Finally, if the great Muhammad Ali were here today, what do you think he would say? What do you think his thoughts would be about this moment right now in America? I, I always felt that one of the greatest messages that my father sent was love and his ability to love himself, which was also key in the civil rights movement of black men, loud and proud about his own inner and outer beauty was significant. But it, it grew into something much more of the years. Uh, Philadelphia's own Linda Creed wrote the song, The Greatest Love of All, for him. And I think he's, he's often been said, you can only love someone as much as you love yourself. We all knew my dad loved himself, but... He gave him the capacity, broadly, to love every person he encountered and everyone truly in the world. And so I think now he'd be filled with love and compassion, but I think he'd also be filled with a lot of pain and anguish because the work that he really, his life's work, he spent his life dedicated to, um, it's just still so, so flagrantly obvious that we're still fighting so hard. And so he'd be marching along those protesters and fighting the good fight with the rest of us. That's it for this episode of KYW In-Depth. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on the Radio.com app or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Tom Ricker. We'll have another episode out soon.